0: Welcome to Series 5 of the Bible and Me podcast from Precept Ministries UK. The series that uses incredible life stories to give God the glory. Before we dive into this week's episode, if you haven't done so already, be sure to click that subscribe button so that you don't miss out on any of the amazing testimonies in the future. And now, without further ado, here's the podcast. Well, I have to say it's a real privilege uh, for me to welcome Scott Cunningham to the podcast today. Scott is a worship pastor on staff and oversees the worship ministry at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa in California. Mm. He's also the director of the School of Worship, which offers a nine-month course in which they train, disciple, and equip people who feel called to worship ministry. His calling in ministry is to facilitate an environment where the body of Christ would encounter the living God in the various worship services and gatherings throughout the week. Uh, Through the teaching of God's word, through corporate times of worship and the encouraging fellowship with other believers, it is Scott's prayer that Jesus would be known and made known. Scott grew up in uh, Calvary, Costa Mesa. Uh, He and his wife, Megan, have five amazing daughters uh, that they adore, and uh, I would just like to welcome Scott to the program.
1: Thank you, Nigel. Great to be with you. Okay,
0: now, Scott, how did you come to faith in Christ, and why do you follow Jesus?
1: Yes, I actually uh, had believing parents who got saved um, in their kind of teenage years. My mom came to faith uh, probably when she was 18, 19, met my dad when she was 20, got married a few years later, and just wanted to raise a family in the Lord, so my my parents... um, brought my brother and I up just uh, in, in the Bible and teaching teaching us the Word of God, having us memorize scripture from a young age and stuff like that. So it was a big, just a huge impact on our life, you know, growing up. And I can look back to where I came, I really came to faith at a young age. I mean, it was probably five or six years old, I remember praying and asking you Know Jesus into my heart, you know, as a, young, as a young person would in that environment, and then as I got older, uh, that progression, you know, as I got became to understand even more so what it meant to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. So there's always these recommitments and these uh, moments I can, I can look back in my high school years, um, spe- uh, specifically, and then in college, which would be like around 18 19 years old. Um, coming to a place where I really was surrendered myself to, to the Lordship mm-hmm. of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, really to a place of like, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to trust you. And Jesus just became, um, you know, it was one of those things where you've heard all the stories when you're a kid and you, you're around great Bible teaching and around all these big events and seeing God working in these different places but when it Jesus, for me, um, personally met me in that season of life uh, right after high school in a powerful way that just showed me he was so um, intimately involved in my personal life, he cared about me. It wasn't just this broad, God so loved the world, it was like God so loved Scott Cunningham that he gave mm-hmm. his only begotten son, you know? And that became so real going through it. It's kind of a difficult season. I had dated a girl for a long time. We broke up and a band that I was in kind of broke up. And I was in the season where kind of alone and asking for God to lead me and guide me and reveal Himself to me. And He really did in a very personal way. And and that 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 personal like relationship with Christ became uh, why, you know, everything, you know, just I think I look back now that led to everything that God has done done in our life because it became, it very personal, you know, it's very real. And so I follow Jesus because he's real. I believe he's most worthy of praise, worship, adoration, affection, devotion. And, um, you know, it just, just for all that the Bible states that, that Jesus is God manifested himself in the person of Christ. You know, we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It says there, in uh, Second Corinthians chapter four, and so, I think that revelation of realizing who Jesus is, because everybody worships something. I think I came to that realization like, in that season that, everyone's going to worship something. I'm either going to worship, you know, my favorite, you know, musician, and and my life will be around trying to be like them and devoted to them or some you know some some band or some idol or something, everyone worships something but but really what is what is most worthy of your affection time devotion um you know really, what is most worthy? well, the one who both created and saved us, you know so the, I, I just begin to see the futility of searching after seeking after going after anything else but Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. I think that was kind of part of that revelation of mm-hmm. him God revealing himself to me that he's for who he was and it was like well it just made a lot of sense you know and realizing counting the cost as well that yeah we're probably not going to be wealthy and probably not going to be the most popular and probably not going to have all those things but having the most um, real relationship with God that would have the most value so worship is really you're, you're basically saying who is the most valuable you know of my affection devotion and, and,
0: yeah. and I mean what a privilege in, in a sense to grow up in a Christian household yes. and, and to be taught the Bible and and I guess you you mentioned that you had good Bible teaching. Yes. You know, as a young guy. Yeah. And I guess that was really important as well. So you're hearing the Word of God. You're yes. hearing it expounded well. So your whole learning uh, experience was a positive one growing up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Um,
0: now, you, how would you describe Calvary Chapel? So for those of, for those listening to the podcast, they may not have heard about. You know, what is Calvert Chapel we'll talk about it more you know you, you are on the staff of Calvert Chapel Costa Mesa you went yeah. to another Calvert Chapel just for those that don't know what what is Calvary Chapel
1: yeah Calvary Chapel is like is a non-denominational uh church that started with um our founding pastor Pastor Chuck Smith who who was kind of known is known now for reaching out to uh a generation of lost kind of hippies back in the day there was this Jesus people revolution in Southern California and so uh, what was happening in the 70s you know you just had kind of the the culture of like the anti- government you know anti-establishment you know stick it to the man kind of a mentality and so they would a whole generation grew up kind of uh lost and and experimenting with drugs and sex and all these Mm -hmm. different um you know escapes basically and and finding that there was really a dead end there there was no hope and so chuck uh pastor chuck um just began to have a heart for them a lot of the pastors in the area were like oh dirty hippies you know they're just druggies and they're messed up and And I think Chuck at one point kind of felt the same way. He came from more of a conservative background, but him and his wife, as they started to see the need, the Lord just really began to like burn their heart to to open their doors and to reach out for them and to see them the way that God would see them. Mm -hmm. And so they 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 got to experience really a revival in Southern California of just Jesus saving a generation, you know. And it was so it was kind of an enigma. And in fact, a lot of people were like looking at Calvary Chapel, like, "What is?" what is this church and why is it growing so fast? And Chuck would always just say, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle, you know, God's saving a generation. And so I think all the pastors in the Southern California area, um, that kind of opened up their heart to a lost generation, got to experience what was then really a revival. And so thousands of kids were coming to faith Um, You know, it was kind of messy. Obviously, they were coming off of drugs and and it wasn't like this real neat cookie cutter thing. But but and so a lot of churches in the area were very skeptical of both the hippie movement and both of Calvary Chapel because they weren't sure what's your theology. You know, you're accepting all these guys in or is there a compromise there? Well, Chuck, um, yeah, Chuck would just go on to like realize here's all these young kids coming to Christ. He's opening up his doors. He was a couple young uh, young men got saved and were very gifted in evangelism. This guy, Greg Laurie, and a guy, Lonnie Frisbee. And so he would take these young guys out with him to college campuses with some bands at the time. And back in the day, like, again, these are Jesus people, like hippie movement it was kind of the culture of that was also very much like the music culture that this kind of hippie Yeah, so all the churches that opened their heart to this, uh, these young people getting saved, really experienced uh, revival, you know, because, again, like, there, it was a messy kind of time in some mm-hmm. ways, because it was, you know, these kids were coming off of drugs and writing these Jesus hippie songs, you know, that, that were um, really from their heart. And it was also resonating with the generation. So Chuck would take the, these bands and a couple of these young um, saved ev- evangelists with them and they would preach the gospel on, co- on uh, college campuses and more kids were getting saved. So Calvary Chapel was kind of known for... Um, you know, just opening the doors to this next generation of young people getting saved. So one of Chuck's famous lines was, you know, some of the people were complaining, all these dirty hippies, they don't have any shoes on, and they're going to wreck the carpet. He's like, we'll tear out the carpet if we need to tear out the carpet. You know, we just want them to come in. And so what would happen is he ended up like, he sees all these kids getting saved, and he's like, you know, in, in his denomination before, he had like two years worth of sermons, you know, that he would go through and teach, and then he kind of start over these topical sermons. I think he was reading Haley's Bible Handbook commentary where it went through verse by verse the gospel of, or not the gospel of John, but 1 John. And so he started teaching expositionally through the Bible. And he started to see all this growth in the church because they were they were studying the Bible. So Chuck began to just teach through the Bible verse by verse. I think he taught through it eight times. And so Chuck's legacy was now known for being an expositional Bible teaching church. And all these young hippies became ultimately um, older parents and they would go plant other Calvary chapels. And so now there's like a thousand Calvary chapels um, in the U.S. and about 500 overseas. So that's kind of Chuck's legacy. Along with that was also uh, the birth of Maranatha music. So all this music was coming out of Calvary Chapel. Uh, this hippie music, and then you had all the Maranatha music songs as well, mm. so that was kind of part of the birth of um, of really kind of the first Christian music label as well, out of Capri Chapel. Wow. Yeah.
0: Amazing. Now, you, you grew up and went to school in Costa Mesa, in California, and after school, you went to Bible college. Why, why do you go straight to Bible college after school? I mean, you know, I guess in our culture over here, a lot of guys will maybe go off and do some secular employment and... But yeah. clearly, you know, you that's what you wanted to do. Yeah,
1: well, it's funny because I, out of high school, I didn't really see myself as like maybe the best candidate for Bible college. I wasn't maybe the most academic, you know, uh, strong academically in school. I was more of the musician, artistic, creative kind of side, side of things. And um, my mom was always praying that, that I would. He, she always felt, you know, was encouraging me to, to serve the Lord in ministry. And I, I had a heart for that. I grew up in these kids groups singing with uh, a thing called Salty, the singing psalmic, which was like a Maranatha music kid's arm of their other thing. And so that was a big, a big thing when I was a kid. And so I, was, I would sing on those albums and perform in those groups. So I, I just had a, I felt that tug to ministry at a young age. I, I had a taste of it at a young age, and I thought, man, I, I really do enjoy that. I love that. I want to serve the Lord in that way. Um, but after, again, pursuing music and pursuing, you know, this relationship, when all that stuff fell apart was kind of when the Lord really met me. And part of that was, um, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because I was still kind of had my agenda. I wanted to be a musician, a tour musician. I wanted to you know, do these certain things. And finally, when I opened my hand and said, okay, Lord, I have I make a mess of things when I'm doing it my own way. What What do you want me to do? And so part of that was me listening to the radio and uh, Bible teaching. And I remember hearing a bunch of these guys that I love their, their teachings. I went to Bible college these days. So I started researching Bible college. Um, we have a Calvary Chapel Bible college in the mountains at the time. So I just saved up for one semester's worth and just went to Bible college. And it was one of the most amazing things that I ever did, because at that point, I just more so felt God confirmed a call to ministry in my life. I met my wife at Bible College. She was from Washington State, so that was you know, we were one of, the, one of the statistics of bridal college, you know, yeah, <laughs> as they would joke around, yeah. bring by Springer your money back or something like that. I was like not into relate. Really, you know, I was mm-hmm. kind of definitely not going for that, but I, I ended up meeting her my first semester and her last semester, and that's where that began. Amazing.
0: And you you moved, after Bible college, to Calvary Chapel Vista. Yes. In 1996, uh, and you were there sort of four years, really. What, what are your memories of your time there?
1: Yeah, so... Pastor Brian Broderson, who now pastors Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, was coming up to the Bible College at the time, and he was talking about um, church planting. He had he had planted a bunch of churches in Russia with a team, and planted a bunch of churches in uh, Eastern Europe and in Yugoslavia at the time. Now it's Hungary, um, and so he was starting to plant some churches with some guys in the UK. He just had this burden for the UK, and he was he came up to the Bible College. He's like, hey, pray about. Go to the UK for a year or for, you know, whatever, and be a part of a church plant to all these Bible college students. And I remember just being so, like, moved and looking at my wife going, we got to go, we should, we should go, that'd be amazing, you know. Because we, you know, our, our church movement at the time was more national, and Brian being, like, second, you know, third generation Calvary was more thinking international at the time. And so, like, let's take some steps of faith and go overseas and see what God might do was kind of the idea and so Brian was sending a bunch of these young guys over. I just remember thinking, man, I want to go to a church like that. That's so missions minded. That'd be so cool. So moving to Vista, um, we went on staff there. My wife and I. We were newly married and newly in ministry. And about three days after we got hired, found out my wife was pregnant with our first <laughs> daughter. So it was a lot of new. We were just you know thrust into what felt like the microwave you know you know version of this call in ministry. And um, and so Brian sent us over on our first trip to the UK in 1996. We were both, you know, we are just married and pregnant with um, our, our first girl. And I was playing drums for a band at the time and touring around. So I got a chance to see a lot of England um, because we were uh, touring around. And I just remember looking at my wife going, I, I think we're supposed to move here. I love it here. It's so much fun. And she's like... I, we're having a baby. That's all I can think of right now. You know, just beginning to get, she was kind of a nesting stage, you know? So anyway, so we, we were at Vista. We stayed there and we just were serving. I became the high school pastor at the time, youth pastor, and I would lead worship. Brian ended up leaving the church and and planting the church in London and at the Cabaret Chapel there in Westminster back in 1996. And, um, and then uh, we just continued on to stay there. We'd still do a lot of trips over and support, do outreach, and do lead mm. worship and and be a part of that that mission. But we were uh, kind of planted there at Calvary Vista for those four years. But those mm-hmm. are very foundational years for me in ministry, yeah, just yeah. learning ministry and
0: yeah, it was yeah. Great. lots of news as you said, lots, lots of new things. Yeah. Now, two thousand, you moved back to Calvary yeah. Costa Mesa. Um, what what brought you back? What what was a yeah. Why did you move back?
1: I remember leaving Orange County where I grew up and thinking, you know, i like got gotten married at the Bible College when we were in Vista, which is south of Orange County, thinking i never want to move back to Orange County. Like that was my, I, I grew up there. It was my roots. It's really fast-paced, busy, expensive, kind of shallow, you know, all those things that California is kind of known for. And I thought my wife's from Washington and then we had a kind of a burden for maybe someday we'd go to Washington or England or I just was kind of open to whatever. And Brian, after four years of being in London, felt called to go back and do a transition with um, his father in law, which was Pastor Chuck. So Brian's married to his daughter. And Chuck had said, Hey, come back to Costa Mesa. I want to do a three year transition. Um, and Brian had been asked that a few times by Chuck and just said, No, not right now. I don't think this is the right time. In 2000, he felt like the Lord spoke to him and said, Go back. So he left England, which he loved, moved back to Costa Mesa. And he started hiring these um, younger guys to come on staff with him at Costa Mesa and be part of this transition team. So I get a call out of the blue from Brian saying, hey, pray about moving to back to Costa Mesa where you grew up and coming on staff and being the worship leader. And I remember this phone call going, Previously, like just you know, when every time I drive through Orange County, I'm like, oh, I'm thankful I don't live here anymore. <laughs> you know, it's just the old old season. And all of a sudden, after that phone call, I just started to have this burden and excitement for the church that I grew up in. I grew up at Costa Mesa. Um, it was kind of part of my very formative years and my spiritual journey. And uh, and all of a sudden, realizing, oh wow, this our church is going to go into a transition. Chuck's can ultimately step down or. Or transition, or go to be with the Lord at some point, and I, I get to be a part of that, and I I was so excited about it. So, as I started to pray about it, the Lord just like made it so clear, confirmed it through so many different things. Mm-hmm. We moved to Orange County in two th- thousand to serve mm-hmm. uh, there. We've been there for the last nineteen years. That's amazing, yeah. amazing. Now, um,
0: looking back at those nineteen years, um, just briefly, I guess, how's the Lord led you? What have you seen him do? So sort big-scale of big, big scale stuff. Really. Sure. And, and then I want to talk to you about the School of Music and Calvary Creative and those other things. But in, yeah. in a general sense, what have you seen the Lord do?
1: Well, it's been a huge transition. So um, I knew it was going to be challenging going into it. We knew that we're going to be going... Any, any church transition is, is a challenge. Chuck Smith in our area was kind of like the um household name you know as a, as one of the really influential pastors in southern california so he had a really big footprint and a big a big influence in a lot of uh, our culture there so it, it and then you have a lot of Calvary chapels connected to it so knowing that a church is going to go from a founding pastor to um, to a new a new pastor would just we knew it was going to be a challenge cuz you have the body that just loves Chuck and, and rightfully so and been pastored by him for 40 years or whatever and then you have a transition. So Brian's starting to bring new guys in. And part of that new also meant that you're gonna you're probably going to be a target for some, um, you know, hate's a strong word. I think more just like Negative. negativity, yeah. right? Yeah. And, of course, we're bringing in a younger style, a younger sound, uh, maybe a little bit of a different, you know, not philosophy ministry, but just a different sound of the way things would look and feel. And as Chuck got older, he got more conservative, so he'd be known for the hippie pastor, kind of. But you, if you would have come on a Sunday morning, it would have felt like a traditional church. It would have felt like you had an organist and a pianist, and he would always open up with a hymn, which was awesome. Um, but then some Sundays, you'd have three guys singing three-part harmony, these old hymn, you know, hymns. But this is Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa that was pioneering the, the new musical sound in, really, the church as a whole. It had such a huge impact the first church back in the 70s and 80s to use drums, electric guitar, bass. I and mean, that was just unheard of in the church world. It was very much choral led and very much traditional, which is wonderful, but for Calvary it wasn't really our DNA. So as Chuck got older though, he he went he reverted back to a bit more of that as you do. Um and he just, you know, loved that. It was part of his roots as a kid. So so you can imagine then Brian going coming in and changing and making some of those changes and being uh, you know, being newer sound, a newer thing, and people kind of resisting that. in some ways, we got we became a little religious in the way that we, you know, as a church culture, like, hey, well, it's not hy- hymns, and there's no where's the suits and ties, and well, where's the organ, you know, and and those kind of things. So, and understandably, everybody has the soundtrack of their gener- of their generation and yeah. what the Lord you know, did in them. so so it was a challenge, um to say mm-hmm. the, to say the least, it was a challenge, but it was also a huge blessing. like we just, Got a chance to be a part of uh, something new, and um, Chuck had always taught that you know um, he didn't want to be you know the you know the pope or of Calvary Chapel in a sense. You know he didn't want it, he wanted to us to be led by the Holy Spirit, and that would mean it would look a little different, feel sure. a little different. Um, I think Warren Wiersbe said methods are methods are many, principles are few the methods always change but the principles never do, you know, mm. so mm. kind of a, that became kind of like, yeah, the the way we do things, the style of how we do things might look a little bit different, yeah. but the principles uh, are going to stay the mm. same, and so that's yeah. kind of what we were part of, so it was big picture, awesome, yeah. challenging, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. 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 Um, now, in 2002, you set up um, a school of music, yeah, uh, and... You also oversee what's called Calvary Creative. Um, tell us about those.
1: Sure. Yeah, so when we came back, um, part of that coming back to Costa Mesa, I was a part of uh, a ministry called Worship Generation that had started with my friend Joey Buran, and he had a real heart for the next generation of guys coming up. So we would do these, um, these Bible studies and worship nights once a week at the church, like a Thursday night, turned into a Monday night later on. But that was a youthful kind of college-age Uh, gathering with guys like Phil Whitcomb, Evan Whitcomb, Jeremy Camp. Um, These would be names that would be, they're now well-known in the States of like young worship leaders that were kind of up and coming. And and that we were really influenced by guys like Matt Redman and Tim Hughes and these songwriters, these uh, British songwriters that were just writing these beautiful, simple songs like heart of worship or Mm. delirious, you know, I Mm can sing of your love forever. Some of those songs that were making its way over to the States. So, um, so some of our young writers were coming up, and I just saw this growing need for training for, for the creative side of things. So when I went to Bible college, I was definitely more the creative side as more, as opposed to the academic side as much. Some guys have both. That's kind of a rare combination. Um, but I realized that uh, there was really nothing for music at the Bible college. I mean, they had a Life of David class, which is awesome, but it was um, like kind of the heart of David, the heart of worship, sort of, was kind of woven in there. But as, as the growing need in churches for worship leaders, servant-hearted, spirit-filled, musically capable lead, worship leaders in the church were growing, um, we were realizing there's no training for that. So there's no place where we're going to train guys that, can, that, that will know their Bible well and that also will have good, solid principles of ministry and also can be trained practically musically for that ministry. You know, So a lot of our local colleges... Christian colleges would have a music music track, but that was all classical, so you would be in like an orchestra setting, which is mm. beautiful, but not often seen, maybe in high church you might see that, but in like the everyday average kind of like church maybe in California yeah. or in the States, it was more of a real kind of contemporary feel, mm. it was seemed So there's no training for that at all, and so I found, um, I learned, for me it was more learning on the job, like I would just have to you know, learn some of those lessons myself and, and learn from some other guys. But I had a dream one night, and the dream was um, being up in the mountains with a bunch of great musicians to teach the next generation of young guys that had art to serve and great Bible teachers up there. We'd have a week camp where we would have, you know, just this great time of worshiping the Lord, but then training Bible and music stuff. So I shared it with a friend and said, man, I had this vivid dream of like this camp where we trained, you know, students with Bible and then music and... (laughs) And my friend goes, "That's interesting. And he had a background in education. He goes, "Well, Scott, what about like, what about a school of worship? What about starting a school of worship? And this is two thousand and two, there are no school of worships, you know, I've never even heard of that before, and I was like, school of worship. <laughs> what would we do for a school of worship? What would that look like? and what would we teach? and what classes would we offer? I mean, all these things were just kind of still yeah, I wasn't be... quite sure how that would work. Well, we started talking about it and kind of brainstorming and mapping it out. and sure enough, we just, the Lord had given us some clarity on, hey, we could do it, you know, we'll do it four days a week or five days a week at the time. Now it's four days a week. We don't do Mondays anymore, but uh, three hours a day and we would do it from nine to 12. And, you know, it's, it's just 50% Bible, you know, instructional lecture and 50% music like hands-on, we're going to play, we're going to sing, we're going to have teams, we're going to have vocal, you know, vocal classes, electric, acoustic, bass, drums, piano, all that stuff, practical, because most musicians are just hands-on, creative. they have to, they want to play it. They want to feel it. They want to do it. That's how you learn, like sports sure. or whatever else. They yeah, just yeah. want to get their hands on it and do it. So we, and the thing with music as well is you realize everyone's pretty insecure. Everyone thinks, you know, like, oh, gosh, like they could be encouraged 20 times, but one person says a discouraging word and they're just, they're shattered, you know, like, oh, you're right. Because they're you're already like, oh, there's somebody way better than me. They, they should be doing this. I, I, I can't do this. So <laughs> I found for me that if we can if we can make an environment where they're they're encouraged and they're not this isn't school of rock, this isn't like who's the best. You know, this mm-hmm, is more yeah. like how can we make it where you can cut your teeth and yeah. grow your gifts and be encouraged in your gifts and, and yeah, you, and be okay to fail. You're gonna fail and blow it and that's how you learn. You gotta get out there and do oh, it, right? Absolutely. So so that's mm-hmm. what school of worship began is we we thought let's let's do it. So we started a year it was like at eleven people. And um what and the eleven what guinea pigs. Got, and are, where are you now? <laughs> so we're we're about uh sixty students no, a year. Really, yeah, and, incredible. And sometimes it's gone up a little bit, but it's just enough because we can do 10, yeah. 11 different worship teams out of that. We can um it's a strong, it's small enough to where we can still do a lot of discipleship, mm. but it's not um it's not so big that they get lost in it as well. So it's a really good size.
0: Amazing. Now you've written a number of albums yourself, mm. and I understand um your album, Steadfast Love, yes. came through reading the English standard version of the Bible rather <laughs> than on, New King James. Right here.
1: <laughs> Emphasis on English. <laughs>
0: yeah, English. I emphasize English there. That's so right. how did that come about then?
1: Yeah, I mean, I grew up reading New King James since I was a kid, and I memorized all my scripture verses in New King James. It just was taught, you know, well, Chuck actually taught King James, and... And that was uh, great, but it was still kind of foreign to to our generation. Like, what are those these, these and those, and how do we kind of, yeah, yeah. you know? It made sense to him. To us, it was New King James made a little more sense. Well, the last, you know, I think three or four years, I just started stretching out into what felt like, am I, you know, is this okay? So, but mm. but uh, yeah, I just, it's just
0: heretical to have yeah. another
1: barber. <laughs> exactly, you get so accustomed to it. But all of a sudden, I'm reading verses that are just jumping out to me in new ways. Like just, It's just said in a different way, sure. but it's almost sometimes a little more clear at times. you know. Um, so words like, uh, like loving kindness, that would be translated in the New King James for for that word, the English translation in the ESV would be steadfast love. And as a kid, I remember hearing the song, uh, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, His mercies never come to an end. Uh, beautiful song, but old, older. And I remember thinking, man, steadfast love hit me in a new way. And like, we gotta sing that again, sing it in a fresh way, you know. So I started kind of trying to write a song with um, steadfast love in it, and so it was kind of birthed out of that. And and I, all the way through the Psalms, David uses that word steadfast love, and it's this like, you know, trying to find English words to put into what is the original word of this covenantal. Um, Just uh, unconditional love that God has for us, you know, this really beautiful love. So steadfast is a way we can say Mm -hmm. it that Mm -hmm. kind of paints a picture.
0: And what an amazing thing to be able to do, because of course we know that the Psalms, as they were written and they they were sung. I mean, you know, they were put put to music, weren't they? Yes. Uh, uh, When they were written, and here you are, you know, um, two and a half thousand years later. I mean, you, you know, Psalms. Around that age, I mean, there's a big span from when they start, you know, Moses and then yes. David and others. But um, yes. so here you are putting these psalms to music. Yes, and I mean that must be so, so, what a wonderful spiritual experience to be able to do that, you know.
1: Yeah, it's such a privilege, and I, I think um, Martin Luther said, you know, I I put music next to theology and give it the highest praise in the sense that he realized if you can take God's word and put it into music, if it's good melody, put to good music and the words, it's good theology, it has a way of weaving itself into the deep part of your soul that you just don't forget it. Yeah. So that melody kind of keeps it there. You think of the most famous hymns like Amazing Grace or whatever, yeah. you just won't forget it because of the melody. So if we can take the Word of God and put it to good music, it's something that will actually it'll resonate with you for life ultimately. So yeah. the
0: Word as you create your music mm. is important to you. The Word of God yes. in terms of your music writing
1: yes. is important to you. I feel like for me, um, that's where I get my inspiration. That's where I, I try to. There's, there's. Sometimes it, it can be a little more word for word, like you might find it in the ESV or New King James. Sometimes you're trying to just, in an artistic way, um, you know, just encapsulate the truth of the Word of God in songs. You know, I think that one verse. That, um, it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who's shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Mm. It's such a beautiful mm. verse, but I remember trying to, to write a song uh, in just to get that idea of like we see God's glory. God's chosen to reveal His glory in the face of Christ. So I couldn't quite, you know, use those exact words mm. uh, necessarily in 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 order but still trying to paint those pictures and i feel like to me probably the the biggest compliments i've gotten over the years were hey you know the word of god you're you're putting god's word in music i'm mm-hmm. um, not every song has that obviously but yeah, yeah, as yeah. much as i can i try yeah, to yeah. yeah fantastic
0: now you have five daughters
1: <laughs> yes i do
0: <laughs> many congratulations i mean i've only got three sons but you've got five daughters um What's it like being a father of five daughters? Uh, are they all musical? Do they follow the Lord? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I guess you're pretty protective as a dad. You know? Yes, yes, yes. All
1: that. I wasn't really thinking five weddings when I had five daughters. That's <laughs> <wasn't>... <laughs> yes. But you know, now that they're older, five weddings has become a reality. You know, yes. My oldest daughter just got married, oh, and it was it was so wonderful, and and so. Uh,
0: Our oldest son got married about a year ago. So oh, amazing! I know what
1: that's like. Yes. Congratulations! Yeah, you're yeah. so proud, so thankful. Yeah, absolutely. It's, and it's so emotional i didn't realize how emotional i was just crying all the way down the aisle, you know, crying my right. way through the father of the bride speech. It was, oh. it got pretty ugly, you know, <laughs> and I warned him. I'm like, this is going to, I was, I always wanted to do the wedding to marry them. And I was, had planned on it. We had talked about it with them. Um, but I realized that I, I will just weep through that whole thing and it will become about me and not about her at that moment. <laughs> oh, poor dad. You know, as opposed to just, so So it was just sweet to be able to be the dad at the time and you know, walk her down. But, Uh, But yeah, five, five daughters is such a gift. And one thing I've realized with five daughters being, being a guy, you kind of think, okay, guys are like this, girls are like this. But as, as you know, like you have three of the same gender, but you realize it's like they are all so different. All my girls are so different. It's like a scientific research study of the female gender, you know, it's like, oh, wow, you're different there than your sisters. And it's so, it's so fun. And yet there's some similarities obviously there, but they're, there's so much beauty in our home, so much love in our home, and mm. and so much uh, emotion in our home. Is, <laughs> there's so much of all of those things, and it's it's wonderful, and at times challenging. But, but I just feel so blessed by that, you know. And yeah,
0: fantastic, yeah. fantastic. Um, now you don't just lead worship in the U.S., but you also have opportunities to travel yeah. overseas as well. Um, where has the Lord led you to minister to the body of Christ overseas?
1: Yeah, so it started for me in the UK. So through through our pastor, Brian, who kind of sent us over the first time. It was my first time out of the country. So my first experience was stepping off the plane. So through the American mindset, you think of England, you see it through the lens of Mary Poppins, like, you know, <laughs> Dick Van Dyke and <laughs> Julia Roberts, you know, whatever. And so those accents, as well as they tried to do them, were not the real <laughs> the real thing by any means. But you just have this very romantic view of the UK, I think, as a, as a young person, partly because every hero and villain always has a British <laughs> accent, you know, they just, it commands so much authority. So every time you hear the Bible talk with a British accent as an American, you're like, man, that was so good, that was <laughs> profound, you know. Um, anyway, so we just, so getting it to come, it was 1996, we've been coming for about 24 years, mm-hmm. almost every year, and sometimes a couple times a year, but that was, I think the UK, I've, the Lord... Sovereignly just gave us the opportunity through uh, the church we were at with our pastor and then just gave us a heart for it. So it's really, um, this has been a huge part of our um, opportunity to travel. has been in the UK, lead worship in the UK. Also with with, um, Brian having such a vision for the world, we've done a lot. uh, I've done a lot in Russia, Hmm. a lot in Hungary. Uh, We have a number of churches in Hungary. So we've done a lot of outreaches and conferences over there. And then, um, in Nepal, we did some Australia, uh, gosh, where else? El Salvador. Mm. There's been a number of places over the years because we are, you know, having such a missional world mindset, having a pastor who has that, we just, you can't help but get the same wow. thing. just it's, it's very much caught, mm. you Ab- know? Absolutely. So, fantastic. Amazing, yeah. Yeah. amazing, amazing.
0: And yeah, the international rich. But Precept has got a big international rich as well, actually. Wow. Um, obviously in fact, next year, 2020, um, Will be the fiftieth year of wow. precept. and I understand Kay, Kay Kay has been to yes
1: your church. Would that be right? Yes, very much so. She's very much loved at our church, and our pastor and his wife very much love mm-hmm. Kay, and mm-hmm. she's had a big a big influence mm-hmm. uh, on our church culture and in churches as a whole movement. She's very special. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Now, um, why is the Word of God so important to you?
1: Well on a lot of levels obviously the Word of God is the lamp to our feet, the light to our path. It's the promises that we have to cling on to through the, it's the anchor of our soul, you know really when it comes to um, the storms of life and the difficulties that we walk through. it's those promises that anchor us to um, you know to continue on in life and to, to press through as remembering God's word to us specifically. Um, I think God's word has been something that's been taught to us since we were kids and, and the value of that has, been very high in our in our church culture. So that's been handed down uh, to me and to us. I've always had this desire, growing desire to know God's Word better. I wanted to be able to teach it like some of the guys that have taught it before. So Bible college is part of that for me. It's like, I want to I understand it like they do. I want to be able to communicate it like they do. And Even though I'm not like a, a, a teaching pastor on a regular basis so over a fellowship, I teach a lot in the school of worship, you know, through that teaching. And then as a worship leader, there's just these moments we have to minister through through that, and I found that the most impactful times of leading worship sometimes are when we have a moment and we're singing a lyric, and a lyric will kind of jump off to you know just the page in a sense to my heart, and and it connects to a verse, and I get a chance to minister through that that verse that passage, and it's in those moments I feel like are some of the most powerful ministry moments. Um, we were just at creation fest for the week and we were singing this line about, um, you know, the song about uh, just um, your perfect love, it casts out fear. Every fear that I face will be silenced here. And I was just thinking through all the verses that come to our mind about all of a sudden like anxiety, you know, and just how be anxious for nothing. And so these verses kind of mm. pop into my head, but it's in those moments where we're singing a line and then God's word kind of comes back to my heart. And those are the moments where I feel like as a, as a worship leader, the Lord is prompting me to re, to um, to remind the church of these promises. You know, they're simple, um, but they're powerful. And we I mean, were relating it to like, we're in a culture of great anxiety. I mean, we have so much information from our phones to the news. We, we have like information overload. So we take the burden of the world around us. We take the burden of all the friends that we see on Instagram, all their posts, all the worries and concerns. It's almost like more than we we were made to deal with in some ways, so mm. we just we have an epidemic of like anxiety culture of fear yeah, and worry, yeah, panic yeah. attacks. Have a lot of friends have done mm. gone through that. Mm. A lot and of I,
0: young people going yes. through depression and
1: yeah. Oh yeah, and they yeah. feel the burden. They don't yeah. probably even know how to articulate it, but they feel the weight of yeah. the world and the 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 desperate uh, desperation of the world around them. But they don't know how to fix it or how to help it. They just they feel it, and so they don't know what to do with it. You yeah. know so, um so just just as a Christian, you realize that all those cares we can really cast them upon the Lord, mm. just talk to the Lord about them, you know, give them to the Lord, and he the Bible says that you know he will sustain us, uh, mm. cast your burden on the Lord um, mm. for He will sustain you in the psalm psalm fifty so so those kind of things, I, as I'm leading worship, God's Word kind of keeps popping yeah. in my mm-hmm. head. And, yeah. and those are the things that when I share, I feel like there's real ministry things yeah. that happen, you know. Mm-hmm. So through the songs and things that are sharing, I think God's Word, you know, is, is, is the is. anchor for it, everything we
0: It do. is so powerful, isn't it? Yeah. I, mean,
1: I mean, it's supernaturally powerful, yeah. the Word of God, isn't it? Yes. And my words don't hold that weight, you know. I can like I can try to hey hey don't be this and hey you just it's gonna be okay, you know. it Doesn't hold weight like there might be things, but but when it's God's word to us, okay. that's where the weight is. That's where the the power is. That's where the authority is. So oh. God has spoken this to us, you know.
0: Amen. Yeah. Amen. You know one of the things that God's put on our heart, in a in a, in a, in, a, in, a, in a small way really in in this country in the UK is to help do our bit to help re-establish the authority of the Word of God in mm. the nation. Yes. Um, and to be able to do that. That's amazing. If you're listening and you're struggling with studying the Bible, reading it, understand it, please do contact us um, because uh, we've got some tremendous uh, aids and tools to help you to really get into the Word of God so you can hear God speaking to you. Mm. Um, now, um, do you have a favorite book of the Bible or character? I'm sort of
1: guessing what yes. you're going to say here, but I, you know, I, I'm sort of guessing. Well, actually, one of my favorite books of the Bible um, is actually the Book of Ephesians. It's oh, okay. one, I, was go- I thought it was
0: going to be the Psalms. I
1: mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be for sure because I actually I'm in the Psalms every day. I always stay in the Psalms for sure. Yeah. But Ephesians, you, when it comes to the New Testament, it's kind of they call it like the Alps of the New Testament. So you have kind of the wealth, the walk, and the warfare of the Christian It kind of breaks up into those different. Probably you know others have different ways of breaking it up, but sure. but it's just got great rich theology yep. with practical application yep. to them. Yep. Like this is how then we shall live, and then also speaking of the spiritual battle that we're in, it's a real helpful, mm. helpful book. So New Testament, I would probably say mm. Ephesians is one has had a big impact on my life, and then Psalms in the Old Testament, I'm always, always there. I'm reading, rereading, going through it all mm. the time. It kind of gives me, it's like that poetic. Um, outlet that you know the psalmist is if whoever if it's David or the sons of Korah or Moses or the different writers of the, of the psalms are just they're just declaring what they're feeling sometimes what they're going through their their focus is always the Lord there's a lot of honesty in in the psalms yeah, as absolutely. well that's really helpful absolutely. So, yeah um, character
0: Bible character
1: Bible character favorite bible character probably be David <laughs> the man after God's own heart I mean he's mm-hmm. marked by a great. Uh, you know, great highs and lows, highs and lows, victory and and failure, and you kind of just. You, I think we all relate to that. I relate yeah. to that. You yeah. know, gives me hope. <laughs> Amen.
0: And what about a favorite um, Bible verse?
1: Yeah, my probably my. I think my my favorite Bible verse personally with my wife has been Matthew six thirty three. Seek first the kingdom of God, His righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Um, that's been kind of the the reoccurring theme of of our life, our family. Mm. Uh, ministry wise, 1 Peter 4:10 and 11 has been our, our my I feel like both the the commission for me. You know, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability. I'm sorry. if Anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies that in all things God may be glorified and that to me is Mm. I just feel like everybody has been given a gift right? the Bible says it right there everybody's been given a gift and it's about being just a good steward of that gift stewarding the gift well which just means and the way you steward it well is by it says as each each one has received a gift minister it to one another serve one another with your gift Mm -hmm. and whatever gift that is for me it's it's music Mm -hmm. and I feel like that's how I want to serve other people in that way and then I want to train other people to serve in that way. So um, if anybody speaks, let them speak as the very oracle of God. You're, you're, you're the mouthpiece of God. And I said, you're going to speak God's heart and God's word. Mm-hmm. But then let him do it with the ability which God supplies. So it's this little promise attached to that verse. Like God's giving you the gift. Mm-hmm. He's going to open up the doors so if you use the gift. And then he gives you the ability to minister that gift effectively. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people like, well, there's somebody better than me. Or I'm not good enough or I'm not gifted enough or whatever but that's not the point the point is being a faithful steward you think of jesus the parable where he said you know the one guy said oh i know you're a hard master and you know i'm just <laughs> afraid and so i just buried my and he had some hard hard words for him but the the one that was faithful to just steward that gift well and invested in it invested that gift um, saw fruit from it you know and i think that's one of the joys of serving the lord is you just you, you discover what that gift is or gifts. Sometimes people have multiple gifts, but whatever gift or gifts that those are, um, you just steward them well. And God meets you with the ability. He opens the doors to use them. He rewards you for using those gifts as well. And people are blessed. The body of Christ is edified. And at the end of that verse, it says that in all things, God may be glorified through Christ. So our motive and mission is to glorify God, to put God on full display. How do we do that? By being the best we can with the gift God's given us, serving others with that gift, God gets glorified.
0: Mm-hmm. Amazing, yeah. wonderful, yeah. and we have two wonderful studies actually as a ministry on spiritual gifts. Mm-hmm. One's a more in-depth study, a precept upon precept study, but then we've got a yeah. another gift, uh, another study on spiritual gifts uh, which is very powerful. So if you're there listening to this, thinking mm-hmm. oh. I don't know what my gift is, but I'd just love to know what my gift is, and please do contact us, and we may be able to help you with that.
1: Amazing.
0: Um, Scott, um, you know, you have been coming over this country for many years, you say. Uh, You know, we've seen you lead worship at Creation Fest over the years. You've been so faithful, Mm -hmm. and uh, I just want to thank you for your ministry to to me, to Molly, and to the countless hundreds, thousands of people uh, who have, um, you know, Received from you in your oh. ministry, and uh, you know, I, I just want to pray God's blessing upon you and, and your family and your daughters. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, you. Are you a granddad yet, by the way? Uh, yeah, not not yet. Yet. no, not no, I'm not. Years, but... I'm not. Either. I'm not either.
0: And uh, I'm I'm not allowed to mention it to my my son either. That's right. No pressure, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But no, genuinely, uh, thank you so much. And uh, the Lord uh, bless you and keep Mm -hmm. you, make his face to shine upon you and Mm -hmm. give you his peace as you continue to minister to the glory of God. So thank you so much. Thank you, Nigel. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Bible and Me podcast from Precept Ministries UK. By leaving a rating or review, you can help us to reach a wider audience with the good news of God's grace and plans for his people. But otherwise, until next time, we hope you have a blessed week from all of us here at PM UK.